0: that we might grow to be complete in Christ in an earlier broadcast I mentioned having travelled through France on my way to visit Switzerland and then returning from Switzerland back through France to the UK at the end of our trip what a terrific trip it was too So much to see and to enjoy of God's creation masterpiece. I showed a friend the photos I had taken of all the grandeur and beauty in Switzerland. His reaction was that I had taken too many pictures. I responded that there was so much to see. These were all a part of the wonders of creation. I didn't know what to leave out. His response, I understand what you mean, but did you really have to take a picture of everything? I realized then that not everyone has a deep appreciation of art and beauty. One picture of a great snow-covered mountain would have been enough for him, I suppose. And I must realize, too, that I was there. It was my experience and personal intake of the grandeur before me. Photographs, no matter how beautiful, cannot adequately provide the same emotional impact as standing there. I was wrong to expect my friend to appreciate all of what I had felt. Our relationship to God is like that too, I think. One person can never adequately transfer their personal, emotional, and spiritual appreciation to another person. Impossible. Each individual has a Pandora's box of emotions, experiences, understanding, intelligence, spiritual growth, and so on. My perspectives will always be different from everyone else's. One further element must not be overlooked. Intent. Or maybe I should have said desire. Our desire to know more about God, to have a close relationship with the Creator, the one thing that captivates and drives us toward our chosen targets. His is the dividing factor that will separate those who have and those who wish they have. My pictures did not show and nor captivate the thrill that my friend could have experienced sufficiently for him to be enwrapped and engaged with the picture show that was before him on the large television screen in glorious color. His was a superficial appreciation that faded quickly as his interest faded. This was my blessed experience, not his. back through France from Switzerland that we encountered several military cemeteries where the fallen soldiers of both wars are buried. We passed one that was right alongside the road we were on, so we decided to stop and visit. It was a good experience. We were reminded of how much we owe these brave boys who gave all when their countries called them to arms. Row after row of white gravestones crosses in a well-manicured grassy plot Each gravestone engraved with the name and rank of the fallen soldier. That is where the name and rank was known. There were many with no names or ranks on the description. It only said, a soldier of the Great War. These poor soldier boys died so dramatically that there was nothing to identify their bodies before burial. A soldier of the Great War was all that they could be called. Like the tomb of the unknown soldier in Westminster Abbey in London, it is a symbol to represent all those soldiers who died or were never found. A place to give hope to the families that those who died without identity, perhaps that was their son, their husband. Then we came across an inscription that said it all. It read, Known only to God. The body in that small grave may not be identified for a man to know who he was but he was and is certainly and will always be known to God
1: As I travel along with my sorrow and woe, There is not for my labor but draw Sweet contentment wherever I go. In the light from the old rugged cross. Let me walk in the light from the old rugged cross. Let me follow the steps of light from the old it cross. When my race is run and my labor is o'er, and I'm cleansed from all sin and old draws, at the setting of sun I shall reach that bright shore. In the long From the old rugged cross. Let me walk in the light from the old rugged cross. Let me follow the steps of the Lord. For my sorrow down there soon will all disappear. In the light from the old cross.
0: And now, with his message for today, here is Senior Pastor Emeritus Alan Lee. Greetings once again. We are of the
2: conviction that the Beatitudes are the most detailed description of a believer in Christ given anywhere in Scriptures. All it takes is but a casual reading of these profound statements to come to the conclusion that the concept of a disciple of Christ, as held by most today, is not the concept that is given by Jesus Christ himself. The first beatitude, we believe, describes the beginning point of true discipleship and a true relationship with Jesus Christ. It is the basis for entrance into salvation. We could say it is the beginning of true happiness or true blessedness. The first beatitude says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for this is the kingdom of heaven. Now, as we explained in our last message, the word blessed means to be approved of God so that one experiences an inner state or condition of tranquility and peaceful contentment regardless of outward circumstances. And so this is not mere happiness, but it goes beyond that. As we said last time, happiness is based on happenings or events around us. If they are favorable, then one is happy. If they are not, then one is unhappy. However, blessedness transcends happiness and rests on one's relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us exactly how that relationship is established in this first beatitude, how one becomes approved of God. He says that a specific trait or characteristic is demanded of the individual. He says one must become poor in spirit. Now, this is in contrast to what the top religionists of the day were saying, the scribes and the Pharisees. As we shall see, that is still true today. My friends, becoming a Christian is far different many are claiming today so let's examine this demanded trait for entrance into the kingdom of god very carefully to see what is required to become a child of the king the root of the greek word translated poor in the first beatitude means to cower or to cringe before to cringe before it is translated beggar in luke 16 where it is used in reference to Lazarus, the beggar. It describes one who is destitute enough to beg for help. His realized need of help humbles him to go beyond pride in order to have that need met, whatever it is. In spirit refers to the sphere of this man's poverty. It is man's spirit the inner man, the area which one has contact with God. The issue presented here, therefore, relates to man's spiritual relationship with and before God. It has nothing to do with his social or economic or financial condition. Jesus is saying, therefore, that blessedness from or the approval of God begins when a person realizes that he or she is spiritually bankrupt before God and can do nothing to help themselves. And so they cry out to him, Oh God, I am spiritually destitute before you. I can do nothing on my own to meet my destitution. Please help me. Please help me. That's what it means to be poor in spirit, my friends. And that's how one begins a proper relationship with God, with an acknowledgement of spiritual brokenness and spiritual bankruptcy, and then crying out to God for help. I repeat, this has nothing to do with material poverty, nor has it anything to do with poverty of personality or lack of self-esteem. This has to do with spiritual poverty, spiritual bankruptcy, a need that only God can meet. Listen to his words through the prophet Isaiah, for instance, as he addresses the same issue. This is what he says through the prophet, quote, To this one will I look, to him who is humble and contrite in spirit, the one who trembles at my word. That's Isaiah sixty-six two. But then again he speaks through the psalmist in Psalm 34.18, he says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Also, Psalm fifty-one, seventeen: the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken spirit and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. End of quote. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about in this first Beatitude. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. My friends, I am without a doubt that a major reason for the evident lack of spiritual power in many Christians' lives and churches today is because of the absence of genuine spiritual brokenness before God. We depend upon ourselves. We depend upon other people. We depend upon programs and personal prestige for our effectiveness rather than upon God and the Spirit of God. Jesus describes these contrasting attitudes in Luke chapter 18. Hear then the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 9 in Luke 18. And Jesus told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous, and who viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax-gatherer. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God, I thank thee that I am not like other people, swindless, unjust, adulterous, or even like this tax-gatherer. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax-gatherer, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, I am a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. End of quote. And so Jesus graphically describes a contrast of righteousness in this parable. He contrasts those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous, in this instance a Pharisee, with those who trusted in God for their righteousness, in this instance represented by a tax gatherer. Notice the difference in attitude and character, and see if this fits in any way in your own thinking. The Pharisee prayed to himself, the text says. Jesus then says, he has his reward. This means that he was paid in full. That's the meaning of reward there, to be paid in full. He was paid in full now on earth by man for his kind of a lifestyle. Listen to his prayer. I thank you that I am not like other people. You see, he felt that he was okay. Why? Because he was not like other people. This is where he made two fatal mistakes. First, he used the wrong standard. He looked at others rather than God. He compared himself to other people rather than to God's standard. And secondly, he was depending on what he did, not on what he was. How about you, friends? But now look at the tax gatherer in verse 13. He cringed before God. He begged for mercy. God be merciful to me, the sinner. He was demonstrating a broken and a contrite spirit. He was poor in spirit. Notice how Jesus describes the results of these things. First, the tax gatherer is justified or approved of God. The Pharisee, on the other hand, was self-approved but not God-approved. He had a false happiness, a false sense of security, a false sense of spiritual approval because he did not humble himself before God. In other words, of the first beatitude, he was not poor in spirit. The tax-gatherer, however, was, and so it was he who went away blessed or approved of God. Now, notice the description of the promised blessing in the attitude. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Notice now, for, this indicates the reason, the basis. This is the kingdom of God. That's very important to understand what is being said here. This may also be translated, for they have eternal life. Because Jesus teaches that entrance into the kingdom is the same as entrance into eternal life. Listen carefully to this fact in Mark chapter 9, verses 45 and 47. Quote, If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to, notice now, to enter life. Lame that having your two feet to be cast into hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eyes causes you to stumble, cast it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell. Did you notice what is being said here? Jesus clearly equates entering into eternal life with entering into the kingdom of God. So his teaching here is that those who are broken in spirit are those who receive eternal life and thus enter into the kingdom of God. Now, be very careful here, as I mentioned. Jesus is not saying that they are blessed and approved of God because they are broken in spirit, although, of course, we are. What Jesus is saying here is that the broken in heart are blessed and approved of God because they are the children of the kingdom. He is emphasizing the fact that those who are broken in heart are approved or blessed of God because they have a proper relationship with Jesus Christ, a relationship that begins with a broken spirit or a broken and contrite heart. This, I say, is the beginning point for becoming a true disciple. This is the entrance portal into the kingdom of God, into eternal life. This is a necessary prerequisite for salvation, a brokenness over your sinful condition before God that leads to contrition of soul that causes you to cry out for help and for the forgiveness of God. Coming to Christ, my friends, to save you from marital or financial problems does not save you. That's not the right motivation. Coming to Christ because of the recognition of your spiritual destitution as a sinner and your need for the righteousness of Christ is what leads to spiritual salvations. That is Jesus' teaching in this first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Based on this verse then, I leave you today with two simple questions. First, first, Are you experiencing that inner state and condition of bliss and peaceful contentment, tranquility of soul, regardless of outward circumstances, because you know that you are approved of God? If you are, then you are of all people most blessed. Second, I ask a simple question. If you are not, why not? As always, this is Senior Pastor Emeritus Alan Lee saying, "Sila, think and act on these things.
0: You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue we extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as Echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, Keep listening for that shout. Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon.
3: There forevermore to stay. Hold oh, the fort a little longer. In your struggle over sin. Trust the great commander's promise. He will surely come again. i believe.